I don't know how to tell you. Begin at the beginning and end at the end. Welcome to the Whovian Review. I'm Michael. I'm Shelby. And starring Colin. And today we are going to talk about the horns of Naimon and all the overacting that goes in it. I feel like this story could be called Canine Saves the Day at the End. (laughs) (laughs) That's the case for a lot of Tom Baker canine stories. And Canine Saves the Day. Gotta love a story with Canine. And this is also my st- my first, you know, Romana story, and um, I, I really appreciate seeing Romana as well. Isn't this your first classic canine story? I'm not sure. I feel like I've, I've had some exposure to him um, before as well. I'm not sure if I was with you or maybe with you long, long ago. Could be. Well, we watched that canine spinoff show. That too as well. We, we got some of that in the mix. What was that, Canine Company? I think I went to a TARDIS Tuesday once upon a time, or actually I think it was even like a Saturday in Michael's, and we were watching some classic Doctor Who, and there's a canine appearance. Oh, okay. Well, The Five Doctors has canine in it briefly, so maybe that was it. Yeah, I've definitely seen some old clips of canine as well. Yeah, there, I mean, this is... Inter- I know his lore, you know, I'm familiar with the lore of K-9. Interestingly enough, John Leeson, who did the voice of K-9 for the first season and for his final season, um, was not in this one. David Brierley was the voice of K-9 in this, and it was quite different. Um, it it kind of threw everybody off a little bit for this season because they were so used to John Leeson's voice, which I... Have to admit is probably the canine that we all know because he, well he came back for um, Canine and Company he came back for David Tennant's uh, canine story um, School Reunion um, he was also the voice of Canine for the Australian spinoff called Canine and something or something in Canine Canine and Friends I don't canine know and Friends something like that um, but uh, yeah there's a lot of um, but John Leeson is is truly the voice of K9. You just can't he's just iconic. True. But that also I don't think detracts from, you know, K9 rolling in and just like taking out the bad guys, rescuing all of the people, and going up to the X and being like, there's no wall here. I don't know what your guys' problem is. He leads them out to salvation, yes. Affirmative. He's the most religious of all of them, including Soul Deed. Who, which in, in this case is probably probably the most overacted, or at least very up there. Oh, uh, it, is, of, it is awful. It's so bad. It's a, it's a caricature of a caricature. Yeah, it. I don't know. I don't know how or why they they had him be like he was. I mean, Graham uh, Crowden was the actor, and he just. 
I mean, it was almost like he was forcing himself to do way more than he needed. Maybe that's just how that guy is. You know, I'm not, I'm not familiar with his other works. You know, maybe he's, uh, he's more typecast. Well, apparently he was a really famous actor, so he must have had something going for him. But in this case, I think it was more just he... Maybe too much was going for him. <laughs> I think he just had too much fun with it, yes. But I do have to say, with Soul Deed, as well as with the Naimon, it was an interesting concept. Like, the fact that this world had torn itself apart in civil war to the point that there were no scientists or intellectuals left. It was all the military people. And like, as a result, they ended up like turning this, the one, you know, science guy into the religious leader essentially, and just falling on blind faith. And it's kind of like, I mean, you know, like, that would be the way that the doctor would probably organize a society would be to have the scientists in charge, and you could see it quickly spiraling out of control like that. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of an interesting uh, setup for it. And then the Naimon being, you know, this race of beings that just, you know, go to one planet and use all of its resources to pull the rest of them over and then send their next emissary out to the next one while they, like you know, strip each planet of its thing. Like, that's a pretty brutal and creepy... Well, in this case... And in this case, the people of Skonos are actually grabbing people from other planets to be their sacrifices, which I find to be rather ridiculous. And the Naiman haven't even been to this other planet that that the the sacrifices are coming from. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, but the Skonos people, like had already, you know, proven military might and basically were just using scare tactics at this point. True, and Aneth was believing that their world was going to be taken over by the Naiman if they didn't listen. Um, so, I don't know. I, I mean, that's... I mean, they probably had a better understanding of what was going to happen than Soldied and his crew. <laughs> the Skonans. Although one member of his crew that I really liked was the one who just, like fell in love with K-9 right away. Just, like, saw, like, oh, no, that machine's alive. And then felt really bad about, you know, Soldeed breaking him apart and just kind of put him back together and then, like, helped him out. That was Sorak, yeah. Of course, he was just locked into the Soldeed's office or whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not like he was a good guy. He was also going along with, like, this regular human sacrifice thing they were doing, you well, know. Yeah, but no. it does give him, you know, like a little all, bit of a redeeming feature. Are, are complicit, you know, what's yeah. going on here. Pretty much. I mean, there's not really any there's not really any redeeming qualities, including the the co-pilot of well, the ship like at the beginning. Well, so hasty, Michael. They, they do have, you know, some pretty sweet, you know, diamond crystal staves. <laughs> well, that was, not, but that was not given. There. That was given to them by the. Um, wasn't that given to them by the Naimon? They had ships no that used to be able to blot out the sky with their fearsomeness. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the Naimon gave the staff to them because they also gave the staff to the to the other planet that they had completely depleted of all its resources, because the one guy there, Sezom, who helps Romana. He actually has a staff and learns how to augment it with that Jasper or whatever he had. Yeah. That makes sense. And that might have just flown over my head, too, but I just kind of assumed that they had, like, some connection between them. Like, the, you know, the person that has the staff here and the person that has the staff there. No, I think that that's just, they just give their representative that staff. 
I do agree with you, though, Shelby, with regards to this particular story having a decent idea or concept. Also, there was some good dialogue, specifically the Doctor and Romana. Yeah, and hey, like, what it is, too, like, not only is it that interesting kind of sci-fi concept in space, it was also clearly, you know, a minotaur in the labyrinth. Right. Kind of throwback and set up, too. So. And the Doctor lured her away cool by waving a red blanket in front of him. That yeah, was and, great. and really worked effectively, too. Uh, well, I mean, they were kind of bull-like looking well, creatures. Well, yeah, I know. So it was, kind of, it's perfect. Yeah, it's also very... Douglas it, Adams. It didn't seem to be sure. very observable, you know? Um, or observant, rather, you know? Because, really, people just kind of, like, walked in, like, oh, let's take two steps back. And I was like, oh, I'll come in and have a conversation. And then immediately walk all around yeah. right behind them. I will say, though, that the overall production of this particular... The execution in general. The execution in general was rather poor. There were some great sets. I will give credit to some of the set designs, like the the Inner Sanctum on Skonos and the... And the comparatively, like, falling apart inner workings of the spaceship. Yeah, the spaceship was actually pretty well put together. It had a lot of working parts and a lot of areas. So, I mean, it did it give it gave it a little bit more scale. But the slowness and the kind of and for some reason the direction was like let's try and watch these these uh, creatures walk down a corridor 5,000 times and in slow motion almost because that's how it seemed like they were moving. Yeah, this this story could have been half the length easily. Oh, very easily, and or or at least tighten it up to so that it made more sense. If you notice that, um, I think already there was very little story within the episodes that they had because they in at the beginnings of parts two, three, and four, they had to go way back, almost like three minutes into what was already seen previously. So there's already material that they probably cut out of the story. For sure. It, it feels like almost all Doctor Who, definitely in the classics, like it could be curated a little bit more, taken out a little filler there and there to make it a little bit more, um, you know, streamlined, gripping, and I think, you know, a, a really attention-grabbing for the modern-day audience. But yeah, I think it was more glaring here for sure. Oh, way more. This per- particular episode. If you go back to Robots of Death, Horror, Fang, Rock, these are Leela stories, you've got stories that are paced extremely well that you that that you almost don't even notice um, any slowness to them because the dialogue, the the way that they're sh- they're they're directed and the way that they're shot actually kind of brings more to them. Plus Leela's in them. Yeah, plus Leela's in them. Um, not nothing against Ramana. I think she's a great character. Oh yeah, but... it's awesome watching like in this episode all of the back and forth with her and the Doctor. Yeah, I think we have Douglas Adams to at least congratulate for at least some of that dialogue between the Doctor and Ramana. Like but these the... two are, I mean, they're they're so similar that Ramana's like the female version back then of the Doctor. Well, what's you know, it's kind of the running joke that she is, except for she's better at like almost everything <laughs> than he has. She's just not better at like being the doctor basically and so but like you know the doctor sits there and going oh yes i have an idea knowing full well he doesn't have an idea what's going on but romana does and she'll tell him 
but he also has the TARDIS completely dismantled and for I don't know what reason but he seems to be trying to fix it but doesn't seem to be doing a very good job he, he's very lucky that he was actually able to move the TARDIS in this story um, we know that the Doctor wasn't a very good pilot before um, the Sixth Doctor because that's when he actually started piloting it to well, actually where he wanted to go. Doesn't he still have the randomizer on at this point? Uh, he may. Well, the randomizer was also used for the Key to Time series. Right, and I, th- I think he, he left it on afterwards. It's possible that so, he left so, like, it on. The, the idea of, of this is that, at least at some point prior to this, in Tom Baker's era, the Doctor wanted to not be followed by uh, the Black Guardian, mm-hmm. so he put a randomizer on his TARDIS so that it would land randomly, you know, within some safe parameters, presumably, but um, so that, like, he didn't even know where he was going, so the Black Guardian couldn't predict it either. True. I don't know if the randomizer's still on board, but it certainly seems like it, because he just seems to be randomly, aimlessly wandering during the, most of the season. It just happens upon wherever he goes. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, it's just one of those stories, I think, that that could have been better. I, I feel like a, it's like a Paradise Towers almost, where the concept in on, on in writing form is actually quite good. And and there is quite a lot of background. There's a lot of intrigue. There's, I mean, the, the ravished world that Sezam is from is, that part of it is pretty well realized in, in terms of the writer's thought processes. Um, so I'll give Anthony Reid some some yeah but did you, did you care about any of the side characters well maybe seth a little bit because seth seemed to be so frustrated with tekka for always building him up always telling him you're gonna save us you're gonna save us yeah, all the but, time but that was just like it was just she was so unreasonable and like he's having this conversation about like oh i'm not really this great guy with romana while she's sitting like literally right next to him and then like she just like is faced with you know these situations that obviously don't point to seth being a hero and she just like like, leaps to this insane conclusion. So it's, like, also not very believable. Yeah, we keep saying, hearing, like, he's going to save us, and then he's, like, the person, like, that's hiding, like, right behind Romana. Yeah. You know, right in the big moment where he's first facing Lord Naimon. I do feel sorry for the first pilot that was in the, the ship at the beginning, because he's the the logical reason... The, he's the one that actually was trying to do what he was supposed to, only by orders, Although, But what he was and, supposed to do was human trafficking. I know, no, I know. What I'm saying <laughs> is... He was saying that he was a really good, efficient, logical human trafficker, and he exactly. did trafficking... I liked the other guy who was so bad at everything that he was even bad at being evil. He was bad at everything. I mean, oh my gosh. That, I was kind of expecting his death because it's just one of those characters that you know is going to die because everybody wants them to just be done. <laughs> I was not expecting his pants to split open when he died. Yeah, that was a big, obvious problem with uh, with the, the, pants. the pants itself. <laughs> the pants, yeah. yeah. The pants were, the pants that, or the costuming department needs to go back and I rethink know, like, these. I think it might be realistic. There's all these new fast fashion trends going on these days with uh, more and more disposable oriented clothing. It, it might just be, you know, really, you know, poor quality degradation of a 
Materials well, they were well, Sol Deed had quite a outfit on. Yeah, I'm, but he would because he was the most exalted one. Yeah, but I'm just saying that that was actually kind of a decent outfit. It kind of reminded me the of Time Lord outfit. Oh, yeah, good beard. Yeah. What was that, Shelby? Oh, it kind of reminded me of Time Lord outfit, just like with the gigantic collar. <laughs> it did have a little bit of that. I just don't think Soldi quite like is what up there. what all space emperors have, you know. <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> fair point. <laughs> yeah, I have a I have a sweater myself with a big collar that's you know all kind of weird disc like. I I don't I don't really get it, but it always makes me feel like some sort of a intergalactic emperor. <laughs> I I think the Nyman also were not the best realized creature. Oh my God, their masks were so bad. But the horns of Nyman. Those were some horns. Well, I, I'm i just saying, it just, I mean, where do I go with this? I they mean, were so bad. Yeah, I mean, they couldn't even lay down right, correctly and without the mask well, they actually could, moving. They, they couldn't walk right because, like, they couldn't see. Yeah, they couldn't see. The, they couldn't walk. They, their movement was interesting, but I think a lot of their movement was like that because literally they just couldn't see where they were going. Yeah, they were like feeling around. <laughs> Help! Where am I? What am I doing? I can't see you. I mean, also, when Ramana and Sazam are hiding from them all over the, the city, I mean, they're literally in pure, right right there. They're right there in view, and, and the, they still don't see them. Yeah, maybe, like, maybe just canonically, you know, Nymons just don't have really good eyesight. I guess not, because they certainly could, a lot of the human characters or humanoid characters certainly got away with with uh, <laughs> not being seen. Quite a lot. Yeah. Let me take my scarf and just throw it around all over the place while I'm running behind this. <laughs> it's very small, very small uh, contraption, so that I'm not seen. Even though Tom Baker is like taller than the contraption and <laughs> wider and everything else. Although I did, I did like it at the beginning when uh, that one guard, the co-pilot, stepped on his scarf. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, that that's a running gag in Tom Baker Land, I think. Yeah. There's all and. It even is, it transfers over to Day of the Doctor when um, Osgood actually has her scarf and uses it for... To uh, trip someone. To trip someone up, yeah. So, at least nice. it's used for the right reasons at that point. I mean, usually it's, you know, the Doctor tripping over his own scarf. <laughs> um, but at any rate, I think that's a good point where we can actually rate. Mm. All right. Well, I, I like I like the space minotaur concept. I think there is a lot um, going on here that could have been delved into and interesting. There's, um, you know, I, I like the method of transport at least, and in the background of the story, like I'd I'd like to hear a little bit more about. Um, but yeah, I, I think some poor execution. I think there there was some filler moments. Definitely, we don't need to rewatch you know three minutes of the last episode and these short episodes. You know, at the at the beginning. Um, as well, that was an interesting choice. Um, I, I liked K-9. Uh, K-9 was a, a great baller in this story. He's a very good boy. Very, very good boy. Um, and Romana, I thought, was a great character, too. And this was a first introduction, you know, for me again, as well. 
Um, I, I think some of the overacting did come across as a fun comedic effect. It had other dimensions of value, even if it wasn't you getting sucked into the emotion of another, you know, person or, or entity uh, right there in and of itself. Um, I, I have to call you both out because you were both, you know, labeling this to me as like the such the worst story ever that it's laughable and that's why it has value. And I think it does have some of that, but... I feel like my expectations were set for a much worse story than this was. <laughs> all in all, for its flaws. Um, so for me, this is really going to get a, a 6 out of 10. Oh, wow. Alright, I'm going to say, and you know, I'm sorry I led you stray. I did not say this was the worst episode ever, but yes, I did, you know, talk in that vein. Um, what I actually said was it had some of the worst acting ever, but um, this was a lot better than I remembered it being. Uh, I think it's also because I haven't just come off of watching a whole bunch of, you know, Tom Baker, Douglas Adams stories, uh, you know, from like starting at the the beginning of this season and and moving forward. Uh, Seeing it just kind of out on its own, I think, uh, made it nice because there were a lot of very funny moments in this. And you're right, Colin, some of that did come from it. I wish that the actor had done something more like if he had done that kind of caricature thing when he was talking to, you know, his subjects or whatever, and then was a good actor the rest of the time, I could have really gotten down with that. I could have been like, yeah, that makes sense. This guy's just like, this is how people should talk, (laughs) you know, but when he was having that, like, uh, you know, the shouting match with Romana, it was just like, it was cringy because, I mean, she was doing a great job, but it was just like, she had nothing to work with. It was so bad. And it was like, that was such a serious moment. Like, that would have been the time to pull something out. But, um, yeah, you know, like we've said, the Naimon's costumes were just very distractingly bad. Um <laughs> But a lot of the concepts were really interesting. This definitely should have been much shorter um, or, you know, had another subplot put in or something. But, you know, I am actually I'm also going to give this a six out of ten because I actually really enjoyed it. I enjoyed a lot of uh, the Dr. Romana banter. Canine stuff was great. Um I liked seeing the doctor just be like, this is my dog. Like, all offended that anyone would think of anything else. These are the things I miss about the Tom Baker era. <laughs> well, I would definitely say Tom Baker and Lila Ward are enjoyable. However, they cannot save a story that, in my opinion, is Tom Baker's worst story. Next to Underworld, probably. Um, but we'll get to Underworld another time. Uh, but this, this one... If I were to choose a Doctor Who story to start someone out on, this would be one of the last stories that I would show. <laughs> it is not a good representation of Doctor Who. It's a good representation of intriguing ideas and concepts and lore. I agree. But is that enough to save the atrocity of the direction <laughs> in this case for me? No. This is one of my all-time worst stories and it is in my bottom 20 stories <coughs> i'm giving this a three out of ten wow this is not something that i would that i've ever enjoyed watching because i've always been so cringed 
while watching it. Canine well, is lobbying to watch it tonight, Michael. Canine, <laughs> K-9, K-9 is very enjoyable to watch, though. Yeah, yeah, I'll but yeah, and Colin brings up a good point. That you were the one who really pushed for this specifically this story tonight. <laughs> Because I wanted to get it out of the way. <laughs> there is so much better to come from Tom Baker. But you said you should, you know, if you're going to start with a story, it would not be this one. But you're, you're just, you know, but jumping you, in to get this out of the way? I but we've we already seen Tom Baker, so you've already been on, like, a whole season's worth okay, of Okay, before Baker, we move so. on to Peter Deuce, I think we should jump back and do, like, Towns of Wenshang or... Uh, you know, City of Death or something. We will, know, We really can go on. One. We can watch another few from this season that are definitely better. Yes. We can work that in. All right. any rate, but thank you for listening to our interesting uh, episode today. Um, <laughs> I know, I, know I'm, I went a little bit lower than you probably thought. Three points, one for K-9, one for the Doctor, one for Ramana. There you go. That's fair. <laughs> fair enough. All right. Well, um, thanks for listening. Talk to you guys next time. Peace. Au revoir.